This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Evan Novi williams Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we bring you a conversation with Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. But first, let's look at some of our top stories of the week. And uh, let's start with your story. It's about uh, the AT&T Regional Sports Networks for sale. Yeah, some more potential movement in the sports media landscape. Uh, We talked earlier this year about Sinclair buying up the 21 regional sports networks, formerly part of Fox that Disney then owned. Uh, And now it looks as though AT&T may be looking to unload its four regional sports networks. Uh, these are four channels. One's in Pittsburgh, one's in the Rocky Mountain area, one's in the southwest, Texas, Louisiana, uh, and one's in the northwest, Washington and Oregon. Um, people we talked to said they could fetch about a billion dollars. Um, a lot of the themes we talk about on this show all the time, right? Live rights are so important, especially regional ones. The, these RSNs typically do pretty well. Um, and, you know, depending on who the buyer is, and I would think Sinclair would be interested there, it might give some more leverage uh, for a network as they as they make carriage agreements. Obviously, baseball is a major sport that's involved in this, but also hockey games also. Uh, two uh, major food groups involved in this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and AT&T is looking to, to, to clear some debt uh, um, it's got as much as $8 billion of debt they're looking to clear by the end of the year. Uh, so this is probably not the only thing <laughs> they're going to be doing. Um, but certainly, you know, the, some more sports rights that are, that are up for grabs. Uh, and again, I think Sinclair would make sense here. You know, we had the, the CEO on, on the podcast, you know, a couple months ago. And one of the things he said, you know, they weren't necessarily done with just the, those 21 that they bought. They're, they're building an RSN out with the uh, with the Chicago Cubs. Um, and, yeah, if, if there's if there's four more on the market from at and I'm sure they'll be taking a look at it. Uh, let's move on to the Hurricanes. What rhymes with Sebastian Ajo? Oh, yo! <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a fun one. There's a quirk in, in the in the way NHL contracts work, and I, I love this. Uh, they're called offer sheets, and, and when a team when a player satisfies a specific set of requirements, another team can make an offer to that player, and if he signs it, the team that he currently plays on has the right to either match it, match the exact same offer, or let the player go. Um, and it does not happen very often. I think it's been six or seven years since a team did this to another team. And the general reason is that, you know, it's kind of seen as taboo. General managers don't want to have to, like, force another general manager's hand. There's fear of retribution. Um, again, it hasn't happened since 2013. A player hasn't been allowed to leave since 2007. So it's been 12 years. And then flash forward to this year, the Montreal Canadiens uh, signed Sebastian Ajo, the, the young Carolina Hurricanes star, to a five-year, $42 million contract. And the Hurricanes immediately said, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to match this offer. But the way that, and I think this is so funny, the way the Canadians structured it, it was really heavily weighted towards the front of the contract. So a bulk of the money that Sebastian was going to be paid was in the front. And I think that was their plan as to maybe try to coerce the, the Hurricanes into not signing it, was that it would be very bulky for a team to take on that contract on the front end of the deal. 
That sounds like, uh, I don't want to use this term, but I'm going to, almost like the okey-doke move, because when you see it up front, you see, uh, it's like you see a wad of bills, eh, I got a 20 up front and a 20 on the bottom, and you didn't see what was in the middle. I think it's so, I wish I wish other sports, like, can you imagine the, the drama of the NBA free agency, if this was also an option for some players to, 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 <laughs> oh. to be signed to another team and then force their own team's hand, and again, if you let the player walk, you get some competition. Uh, Compensatory picks on the on the front end, um, but yeah, I think this is a very funny little quirk in the NHL salary structure, uh, and it's interesting to see after you know six or seven years it finally getting dusted off again. Forget watching the match game; we could see this. <laughs> That's a good game show here, man. Exactly. Um, hey, come on, man. Let's go fix a soccer match. <laughs> come on, come on. Let's go. Let's go fix this soccer match right here. I've been wanting to talk about this one for for a couple weeks now. Our colleague Ira Boudway in Business Week published a huge flowchart with with the title "So You Want to Fix a Soccer Match" uh, in, in Business Week's heist issue, essentially laying out all the different ways that soccer matches get fixed. Uh, and it's a fun thing to to pull through, and I'll tweet it out as well this week. Um, but it's also very enlightening, and you you learn some pretty interesting things about the way soccer matches are fixed around the world. Um, you know, he he asks, "How much money do you have?" Right? Because if you have a lot lot of money you can buy an entire soccer team pay players who are going to fix matches for you and build the entire team around that and then gamble <laughs> on the team's matches if you don't have that much money right you can pay the referee to, to maybe make a call here or there and maybe shift the odds a little bit there's little historical nuggets in here as well in 1997 a malaysian betting syndicate bribed security guards to turn the lights off in a game <laughs> you know because it wasn't going well there was a, a belarusian premier league game that never happened but they reported it to the authorities as a 2-1 game, and people were betting action on it. The, the game was a ghost game. It, it never even happened. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, I wanna, I wanna, you got to explain that again. This game never happened. Yeah, so so they, they, they created a ghost match between two teams that existed but weren't playing, and then sports books opened lines on it. And then they just reported that the two teams were, were Slutsd, and I'm going to mess these names up, Slutsd and Schnachnakor Sologorsk. Turned out to be a, a, a thrilling 2-1 comeback win for Slutsk. Problem is, the game never existed, um, but book, bookmakers weren't aware at the time. A lot of betters got Slutsd. Yeah, anyway, if you're curious about, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, match fixing, but if you're curious about how exactly it works... Uh, Ira Boudway has a pretty good flow chart of Business Week for you. That's intriguing. My goodness. Now let's get into this week's interview with Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Eben, you and Mr. Manfred sat down. I call him Mr. Manfred. You got to call the Commissioner Manfred, uh, Mr. Uh, for a conversation in London as the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees were preparing for their games their last weekend. Yeah, Michael, Rob swung over to our offices in London for for a quick chat. You know, we covered everything from the the macro level, what baseball strategy is in Europe, all the way through, you know, what they had to pay the Red Sox to give up two home games against the Yankees to play them in London, and what it takes to build a, a Major League Baseball facility in a country that doesn't really have any of them. All right. Well, let's listen to that conversation now. Here is Evan speaking with Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred in London. 
we sold 60,000 roughly seats for two games in about 24 hours. Um, we've been out and about in the city doing community events, youth events, a um, lot of buzz surrounding baseball. So I'll ask you a question that I've heard from a few folks here as I've been here over the past couple days. They're curious about why London. There's no major league, there's no major pro league here. You open the season in Tokyo, a place where obviously baseball fans are, are crazy. Uh, give us a sense of why London felt like the next right new, new city to go to. Well, we think there's a great opportunity in Europe, and um, we were looking for a city that was an event-focused city. London obviously has that reputation. Um, we found a facility that was workable f uh, for us here, and we think, you know, even in the short term, both our uh, licensed product business and our broadcast business are driven by a greater presence in Europe. NFL, NBA, all the major leagues are playing games internationally. It's, it's, it's obviously a critical part of the business. Is this more about developing fans in, in places in Europe, or is it more about developing players in places like, like Europe? Well, we're actually interested in both. Um, I think the London series is really more about fans. Uh, we want to create some interest, but we also, while we're here, are leaving behind a legacy of programs that will encourage youth participation. Um, we have a pro program we call Fun at Bat. It's going to uh, be in 50 schools here in the UK this year. We want to obviously grow that program to a larger number of schools. And we do get some players from Europe. There are 20 European players under contract with major league clubs right now. The two teams playing here, the Red Sox and the Yankees, the best matchup that you guys could offer, uh, I think, without a doubt. It's kind of a different approach than we've seen, you know, the, the NFL teams that, that play here. It's not the Cowboys versus the Redskins, right? It's not the premier matchup. How important was it for you guys to get literally the best possible two teams to play here in, in your first European game? Well, it's a big investment for us to come to, to London, and, and, and we were absolutely convinced to get the most out of our investment. It was important to present you know, the very best matchup we could. Um, we think for the two years we're going to be here, Yankees, Red Sox this year, and Cubs, Cardinals next year, we, we filled that bill. Um, and I think the buzz surrounding the event has been greater as a result of the matchup. Absolutely no question about that. You mentioned the investment. Can you tell us how, how much it costs to put on an event like this? This is uh, an event like this is in the tens of millions of dollars for us. It's a very expensive undertaking, but we feel it's an investment that's important to the future of the game. We don't want to just play where baseball is already part of the culture. We want to play places where we can develop new fans and new revenue opportunities for the league. Do these games turn a profit or is the, the profit, do you make that money back on the development side a longer tail? They are not profitable on a standalone basis. Um, it, it really is an investment by the 30 clubs in the future of the game. Let's talk about some of the revenue streams. You mentioned tickets earlier sold out in, in less than a day. 60,000 people at each game, significantly bigger than, than, than Fenway Park for, the, for these two games that are, that, are, that are Boston home games. Did it surprise you guys how quickly that process happened? I probably should answer that question no, but it, it did. Um, you know, we thought that it would be a hot ticket. We didn't think we were going to sell them out in 24 hours. We really didn't. And, um, you know, very pleased about that. We've been, I've been watching the secondary market a little bit myself. We've got a pretty strong secondary market out there as well. I read somewhere 70% of the tickets bought were from the UK, 20% from the US. Is that a good ratio? Is that kind of what you expected? Look, we, we think it's important to get locals going to the games, um, but we also think it's a, a, a great sign 
about our fans' commitment to our product when people from Boston, for example, or New York, buy, buy tickets and fly to London to see a Yankee Red Sox game. That's a good thing for us. When I, when I landed here a couple of days ago, as people were getting off the plane, getting their bags out, there were a couple of guys in, in Yankees hats, and one of them turned to the other and goes, good, I didn't see any Boston fans on this, on this flight. <laughs> Yeah, well, if they didn't see any on that flight, um, they probably have seen a few since they got here. <laughs> and, and I was flying from, from New York, of course. Um, there's also, you know, going through kind of the revenue streams, obviously, ticket sales, good. Um, you have a number of, of, of sponsors here as well that, that were sold specifically for the London series, right? Yeah, really s- strong sponsorship interest in the games. We were able to make some some new relationships, Johnny Walker, and some of our tradition. Mytel's a sponsor of us domestically. They stepped up for these games and um, just strong interest in general. The two games are being split in, on U.S. television between ESPN and Fox, one apiece. Is that a part of their deal? Did they bid separately for that? Kind of how did that negotiation happen? No, it's part of our overall deal. Um, obviously, one of the things that we've tried to do since I've been commissioner is um, to help our broadcast partners uh, by creating events that drive special interest for them. And, and obviously, Fox and ESPN both wanted a piece of this, and we're glad they're both here with us. And these two games are Red Sox home games. Um, obviously, Convincing a team to, to not play their home games has a financial you know cost as well. Um, can you say anything about how much the you guys are compensating the Red Sox for kind of the lost revenue for, for those two games? Yeah, I'll talk about that conceptually. I mean, the way it works is we pay the Red Sox what they would net on those two home games. I mean, obviously, particularly with a club that has very strong attendance, it's pretty predictable what they're going to make on a home game, particularly a Yankee home game. We pay them for the two home dates. We assume the risk on the business that takes place here in London. Gotcha. So it's a pretty easy transaction, right? They tell you we make X during a home game, double double it, and then and then those are the those are the two games. That's exactly right. Um, and you, you know, I I think that um, hats off to both the Red Sox and the Yankees. Um, they've been really engaged in the entire undertaking here in London and in a lot of ways they were in front of us the two teams had talked about coming here together they were very interested in doing it and that makes our job a lot easier I saw a number reported seven million dollars roughly for for those two games for for the Red Sox is that is that about right that's a pretty good number yeah got it Um, and and another part of this that I find totally fascinating the NFL plays here, and it's pretty easy to turn a soccer field into a football field. Um, it's a little different for, for baseball. Um, you're playing an Olympic stadium, which was you know the, the stadium used during the Olympics here, but also home of the West Ham soccer team. You've essentially built a tinier or, or a, an easier version of a, of a baseball stadium from scratch on that field, right? Yes. Um, it was t- quite a transformation, um, obviously. Uh, what we did was we covered the soccer pitch, the grass, put some drainage down, put an artificial surface that we bought specifically for, for, for these games. Um, we brought in the infield dirt from Pennsylvania, um, and the dirt and the surface will stay here in London, and we'll use them again next year. Did that travel by plane or by boat? How did they get here? Can I tell you, that detail, you got to get somewhere else. I know we got it here. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and you built clubhouses too, right? There's lo- special lockers that were, that were flown in. There, there's more than just the, the field itself. Yes, um, they actually built um, two major league quality clubhouses, 
um, that sit on top of what is the track surface ordinarily. Um, we were in there yesterday. Um, it looks like what you would see in any big league clubhouse. Um, did a fantastic job. And we can also save the structure um, that they used to build the lockers, for example. We'll use it again next year, and obviously we'll have to do a little painting on the finish work, but we'll, we'll, we can get that done too. Yeah, turn those uh, Yankees and Red Sox logos into uh, into Cubs Cardinals. Uh, and as you said, this is a this is a setup that will stick around, right? So so when the, those two teams play here in London next year, you'll you'll use it again. And then moving forward, I assume there's other parts of Europe that are interesting to you. Kind of, how do you see? The, the the European expansion of baseball games happening over the next couple of years? Um, we look, we love the initial experience here in London, but we do think our strategy would be to go other places. We're, we're in the process of exploring them. You know, there are places, you know, Germany has a fair amount of um, domestic play that, that goes on. The Netherlands has some baseball tradition. Obviously, some place like Paris would be really intriguing for us. We're just going to have to find the right facility and figure out whether there's demand to have games. There are other leagues that are talking about maybe putting franchises in, in, in countries overseas. Is that a conversation that you guys have had? Is that anywhere on your radar in terms of, of, of London? Look, I think the current ownership group is open to the idea of having franchises out the, outside the U.S. and Canada. Um, the challenge for us, of course, is the nature of our game. It's an everyday game, and the travel's going to have to improve to the point um, that, that makes it a possibility from a scheduling perspective. But certainly a place like Mexico you could do right now, um, and hopefully travel will evolve in a way that would open Europe for us. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I've been to a number of NFL games here, you know, and they have the luxury of the team flies in maybe a week before, you know, if there's a bye week, maybe even two weeks before, right? They spend a lot of time here. It's a little different for you guys. The Yankees played, I think, two days before they came here, or even, even less. How hard is it to kind of build around, you know, to, to hype up the game in a new city when you don't have the luxury of a schedule that, that, that's open? Well, we, we had a long-term plan, um, in advance of this game. We, we, we started holding events, mostly in conjunction with existing festivals, to try to build interest in the game, do some basic education with fans, um, make them aware that we were bringing games to London, and you, you just have to do it a little different way because of our schedule. Last question for you. You've been here for about a week. Uh, any crazy questions that you've got from, from Brits who don't understand the game fully quite yet about, about baseball? You know, it's interesting. Um, the most interaction I've had is at community events, youth events, and shockingly knowledgeable uh, people. There's actually, uh, I think the name of the park, I, I think I have it right, is Finley Park. They're, they're the best sign I've seen, only baseball played in this area. There were three fields. I, it just did my heart good. You know, <laughs> like we have a little toehold and we're going to build from it. Amazing. The point of these games is to build that toehold even bigger. Rob, thanks for sitting down with us. Thank you. <laughs> I liked it. How would you describe baseball to someone in Britain? Very simple. Take cricket and put it on steroids. And that's what you got. <laughs> now, that was very good. Uh, it, uh, a lot of thing, a lot of takeaways from that. Uh, the biggest thing that, that caught my eye, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is that we are going to see a team in London 
play in the major leagues, man. It's going to happen. It's just like we have a major league team in Toronto. It's like we had a team in Montreal years ago. This is going to happen. You heard him say that they're open to the idea of, of a team outside of just, you know, the U.S. or Canada. Um, as he mentioned there, you know, London is a, is a tough logistical place to put a major league baseball team. The schedule, I mean, these guys play essentially six times a week. The scheduling is so hard around that. Um, so unlike the NFL, which I would, for my money would probably be the first of the, of the four major US leagues to put a franchise in in Europe. You know, the the NFL schedule is much easier. You can you can send a team over there, you know, maybe for 3 weeks, they play 3 home games, then they come back to to the US for a bunch of road games and then go back. That schedule feels a lot easier than, than major league baseball's. Um but, you know, as we said and you heard him say it also, you know, owners are are, are constantly looking at new revenue possibilities. Uh these games, you know, they they had 59,000 plus at at both games. That's a success, right? That is that's a, that's a huge number. Uh, that's exactly what Major League Baseball wants. Um, but again, it, it's it's a little harder for a league like Major League Baseball to do games in London, especially put a franchise over there just because of the schedule. Speaking of the franchises, and you know, Evan, the, everybody, the baseball players have a routine. They they have their routine. They come to the park. They'll do this. They'll do that. They'll grab their bats and whatever this and that, whatever. Now all of a sudden, you're going over to London, a place you've never played before, and I'm sure for the Red Sox and for the Yankees. Uh, that had to have some sort of international feel last weekend. Here's what Red Sox manager Alex Cora had to say. I'm a big fan of international baseball, as you guys know. Uh, I was part of the WBC three times and, uh, you know, playing in the Caribbean and Caribbean series, and all that stuff, you know, it's always cool. So it's, it's a new experience, but it's one that we, we're going to embrace. Cora, after he had a spot of tea, also said that he's happy to be a part of helping to expand the game. Whatever we have to do to for that, you know, we'll do it. You know, uh, I think MLB has done an outstanding job throughout the years doing that. Uh, not playing in, not only playing in different countries, but at the same time with the WBC. And if you're curious if they got to meet the royal family, Michael, I know you're curious about that. They did. Woo-hoo. Players like Aaron Hicks said hi to Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Uh, we were excited. Um, you know, to obviously have them um, in our in our clubhouse, uh, just to be able to to meet them, talk to them, um, you know, was a was a great honor and um, you know, a amazing opportunity. Attendance at the games was also pretty good, Michael. You heard Rob talk about it earlier. You know, Saturday's matchup drew 59,000 people. Uh, that's much bigger than Fenway Park if these games were played back in Boston. It's the most for a regular season MLB game since 2003. And players like Yankee first baseman Luke Voigt took note. It's the most fans I've ever played in front of. It was awesome um, from the beginning, and uh, that's really exciting for us to come over here. You know, I think we're getting as good as a uh, reception as, you know, football has for the last couple of years. Yeah, Mr. Void, by the way, get off the I.L. soon because uh, you are definitely needed. Sorry you are on it. And the magnitude of the game definitely was not lost on anyone involved. Here's how D.J. LeMayu summed it up. Yeah, it's just uh, just an amazing experience. Um, you know, obviously the game was wild, so I won't forget that. But, you know, the stadium, the atmosphere, um, you know, just looking up in the outfield and see all those people out there, it's, uh, you know, pretty special, pretty special to play out there. And even in London, and this kind of surprised me, that the faces of the players, like an Aaron Judge, were noticed on the streets. The coolest thing is just, just walking around the city and just you know, being with the people. And um, a, a couple, you know, 
fans said hello. You know, a lot of Red Sox fans, you know, but they, they were great. You know, they, you know, came up, sh just shake a hand, say hello, big fans, and just say best of luck, and they just went about their day, which was pretty cool. So um, I was, I've enjoyed the past, you know, past couple of days here. By the way, one person that traveled to London, of course, to call the game was uh, John Sterling. Mm. And uh, a note to bring to that, uh, he has been calling pretty much every out for the most part, since 1989. And now for the first time uh, coming up, uh, it's, it's going to take a break, you know, take a few days, wait and come back after the All-Star break. Uh, because, first of all, his birthday is, is here. He's 81 years old. He's been doing it for a long time. So uh, just get the batteries charged. Yeah, an iconic voice if you've ever been to, uh, been to Yankee Stadium. Um, I would like to think we'll have Rob Manfred on again at some point to talk about, you know, his takeaways from the, the series in London. Um, I think, you know, heavy attendance, you know, sold out both games. The two teams had f scored 50 runs over two games. I think those are all things that he would have uh, hoped for, you know, both on the field and off the field heading into things. Um, you know, we can ask him about the the, the hype, whether or not the, the city felt like, you know, really felt like they were embracing the sport in the same way that they they do football. Um, but I think overall, you know, for your, for Major League first Baseball's first ever games in London, I think this kind of tracked exactly the way Major League Baseball would like it to. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Two. Two. Uh, the number of games Major League Baseball played in London. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that worked. I'll, I'll even make it a little more. Uh, Two dollars. I'm going to say that. Two dollars. Man. Um, it's not the amount of it cost to, to go to the games in London, I can tell you that. Uh, I don't know. What do you got? But you are on the right track. It is the cost. You've heard from the best, and now let's hear from the rest. <laughs> the, the Rays offered $2 tickets mm. for their series with the Baltimore Orioles uh, because, you know, everybody wants that hot ticket to go see the Orioles There's right now. There's a matchup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, but in all serious, I know there are jokes there, but that is kind of cool. I mean, it, you can go out for $2, uh, see some Major League Baseball, uh, and maybe take the family out and enjoy yourself. Yeah, sports teams are getting more innovative with the way that they uh, the way that they do their tickets. We, you know, I believe that the Athletics have a couple times offered offered free tickets. Uh, this is smart, right? You know, the Rays are a team. It's no secret struggling for attendance. Uh, the, the more people they can get into that stadium, uh, especially given the news last week that they were exploring the possibility of spending half their time in Montreal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All of that, I think, is uh, is a positive for for Rays fans in the community. That might be the team going to London, but anyway. I'd, here nor there. Uh, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Eben Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week. Scott will be back, and we will be talking to the biggest and brightest in the sports business world. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs> 